Thank you for listening to a River Life Fellowship podcast. We're a church family in North Carolina with a vision for people to experience the grace of Jesus, be filled with the Father's love, and to release the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's this week's message from Wilmington. Thank you, Mary. Uh, yeah, I'm Corey. I think I know a lot of y'all. I was down here in March and shared on the Market Street Hampton Inn. Was that a Hampton Inn? Holiday Inn? Holiday Inn Express? Something, something. Um, but just, you know, by way of introduction for the couple people who don't know me, um, I'm super active at the Mooresville campus. Um, I've done a high school youth leader for the past 12 years. I have 26 years of youth group experience. I lead the meetings, like host the meetings or do announcements or something a couple times a month, and then they let me preach every once in a while. Um, but I've been Ryan's brother my whole life, so that kind of outdates all that stuff. There was this one time, circa 1995, where Ryan, as a senior in high school, was driving this cherry red Ford Fairmont station wagon. And, you know, we lived in Iowa, and it was the middle of winter. So it was probably, it was definitely below freezing, probably in the teens. And we're driving from the place that we live to the place where my parents lived. And Ryan is sometimes a bozo to me. And he's like, hey, Corey, roll down the window. And I'm sitting in the passenger seat. I'm like, I'm not going to roll down the window. We're driving down the highway. So we're driving 60 miles per hour. It's below freezing outside. Why in the world? He's like, no, no, just do it. It'll be funny. I'm like, great, okay. So I start cranking, you know, crank, 1978 Ford Fairmont, right? So I start cranking on the window, and nothing happens. He's like, ha-ha, see, the window's broken. Is that funny? And then he leans over. He's like, see, and he taps on the window, just this point of emphasis that it's broken. And the window goes, ka-chunk, and falls to the bottom of the door. And we are halfway to our destination. And as Ryan's brother, I get to sit there in the passenger seat for about 15 minutes of 60-mile-per-hour driving down the, winter state, or down the interstate in Iowa in sub-freezing temperatures. It was awesome. It was really, really great. Has, I don't know. Claudia, you were talking about hating the cold, and I thought of that, that story. So it really doesn't have anything to do with anything. Um, I did start thinking about content for this message a couple months ago that I'll get into. But what I'm going to end up sharing actually has been on my heart since last summer. Uh, there was this, uh, I don't know, I saw it on Instagram, this social media viral song. So this, isn't, this message isn't about the song, but it's just kind of how my mind started getting worked on this by this guy named Anthony Oliver. And it was kind of an apolitical song. It was called Rich Men North of Richmond. And it was just talking about how, like, you know, there's politicians who make all this money and they get to make the decisions for those of us who don't make a lot of money. Um, and everybody, it was supposed to be apolitical, but all the politicians were like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is our message. Like, we love this message. And then one video I saw was like, this is our anthem. I don't even remember which political party the guy belonged to, but he's like, this is our new anthem. I don't know that it's stuck because you don't hear anything about the song or this guy's not, you know, no politicians are running their campaign on this song right now. But it just, it really kind of stirred this thing in me, this question about anthem and like what, what that looks like when you have a song that really represents who you are and the things that you believe in. And I was kind of, I was going for a walk and just kind of thinking through this, like, oh, what would, what would my anthem be? Like if I was going to have an anthem, ooh, like that's kind of cool. What's Corey's anthem? And so like I quickly kind of skipped through, like, you know, I thought about Taylor Swift really briefly and thought Shake It Off would be a cool song, but just kind of moved on. And then there was some, I was like, man, it's probably going to be a worship song, because like, I super love the Lord, so it's probably going to be something like that. And thought about Waymaker. You all know that song, because I super love Waymaker. It gets a lot of playtime, so sometimes we get tired of being sung in church, but, you know, just even though I don't see it, he's working, like super, I, that resonates with me. I love it. 
And then there was another song that's super popular. Hey, guys, come on in. Um, this other song that was super popular right now called Praise. I think it might be an elevation song. Um, you know, I'll praise when I believe and praise when I don't. And I was like, oh, man, that really, really resonates. But where I landed as far as talking about, like, anthem or what, like, I really wanted to align my heart attitude was actually the anthem of heaven. And Ryan's already talked about it this morning, so I feel like I'm preaching summary of what we did in worship. But there's this song happening even now in heaven where the angels are surrounding the throne of the Lord, and they're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And I was like, man, if there's anything that I would want to build my life on, it's, it's got to be what's going on in heaven right now. You know, and in John's version of this story in Revelation chapter 4, he says it's happening all the time. Without ceasing, the angels are singing this song. And I was like, man, I really want that to be the anthem of my life. Like, what's the anthem of heaven? How can I align with the anthem of heaven? And then um, a couple months after that, Ryan was like, hey, would you be willing to come down and share a couple times in the spring um, as we're getting this thing going? I was like, yeah, definitely. I would love to. And started just, you know, lifting up to the Lord. What, what would you have for me to share with this group? So believing that, like, if I ask the Lord for a message for today, that this is a message for today, right? So I don't know who you guys are, just who walked in, but I would say if you're in this room, this message is for you. And if you don't like it, I'm so sorry. I am just doing what I feel like the Lord has, and if it sucks, then, well, okay. Um, but the Lord really was put my heart on my heart throne room. Like, I just kept on, like, every time I would go to him and be like, what do you have to talk about? He's like, the throne room of heaven, the throne room of heaven. And I was like, okay, so that's, that's what I'm talking about. And then he reminded me of this anthem thing that I was going through, because that's what takes place in the throne room of heaven. So the throne room scene happens twice in the Bible. And I'm going to kind of talk through um, that today. If you are a Bible reader or longer in church, I'm going to be in Isaiah chapter 6. You can track with me if you want to. If not, I'm, I'm not going to stress out about that, so you should not. But if you want to, that's where I'm going to be, Isaiah 6. Um, Isaiah 6 is where I'm going to hang out, where the prophet Isaiah has this vision. He says, I saw into heaven. And he sees this scene unfolding with these angels surrounding the throne and the Lord sitting on the throne. And then again, we get a very similar, almost identical scene happening in the book of Revelation, where John says, I was taken up into heaven. And this is the scene that I saw, and it's the same scene playing out in heaven, where these angels are surrounding the Lord and they're singing. And I felt like um, just the anthem thing was, was resonating me, that it wasn't really just about this song. It was about this whole experience that Isaiah and John had in the throne room of heaven that I really felt like encapsulated what I think life for me as a follower of Christ needs to be. Like if I had to have an anthem, it wasn't just this song. It was the throne room experience. And so that's what I'm going to share about today. Um, so Ryan and Mary, just you know, to put a little bit on y'all, I think this is a word for you guys for this church, for like how, like as you're building your foundation going forward, you know, this is some stuff that I think the Lord has for you all specifically. And I'd like to think that if you're here, the Lord will impart something from this to you. So we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. There are four things that happen in these throne room encounters that I'm going to call out. The first one is the one that we've already talked about, that these angels are surrounding the Lord and he's sitting on the throne, centrally located and that's got to be how it is for us. The Lord has got to be 
on the throne in the center of our lives. And that seems maybe like a no-brainer. Like that's some Christianese that we can talk about, right? As we're talking through our Bible stuff and like, oh yeah, Jesus is God and God's on the throne and the throne's the center. Hooray, like that's easy to talk about. But the challenge I think for us as 21st century American Christians is how does that play out in practice? Like, can we put our money where our mouth is and live at a place where God is really center of our lives, where we take out the things that are so ingrained into our culture, you know, our our financial situation or maybe our political situation or our family situation or all these things that tend to dictate how people make decisions? And can we really function out of a place where God is at the center on the throne of our life? So just a story, a practical example, because Again, I I think it sounds easy, but is it? You know, it's not always in practice easy. About a year and a half ago, my day job, I got to a point where I was like, I hate my job. I don't want to go. I don't like these people. I don't want to be there anymore. I was like, I am done. I am out. I'm going to find something else to do professionally. I'm going to move on with my life. And uh, I guess I'll tell you that afterwards in a second. But there was this time about November-ish where I had three job opportunities, which were all solid. I was getting a new job. They were all perfect opportunities. One of them was uh, my boss resigned. Her job was up for grabs. And people on the hiring team were like, well, Corey, when are they, when are they going to move you into her office? Done, right? I got this job. Easy. That's, that's one. I had this other opportunity where I was sitting down with somebody having conversation with them about salary and like hours and job responsibility done. I had this job and it was just waiting for the phone call to say, this is when you start so that I could give my resignation. So excited. Had this third opportunity where I was sitting down with the hiring manager from Lowe's Hardware Corporate Headquarters, which is in Mooresville, North Carolina. We were having breakfast He's like, okay, you need to adjust this on your resume. You need to change this, and then you need to get it back to me so I can put it in the manager's hands who will call you and connect you with, I was reading what position you're going to get, right? Guaranteed, I have a new job, hallelujah. And then within a week, every single opportunity just died, just like seriously ghosted, which had never happened to me before. Like I, I know people talk about getting ghosted, but like... I don't think people really do that. Oh, no, they really do that. They really do. And it just ghosts. I was like, I, I was sure that this was an opportunity and I was moving on. But I think it took the Lord. And I think very specifically he did three things, right? And I think outside of that, I might would have been like, well, I'm just unlucky or something happened. But I, I, you know, when things happen in threes, like I think you need to pay attention. Y'all, if you're... I'm not going to ask if anybody remembers what I talked about in March. When I was talking in March, I was talking about how <laughs> you love one another. People will know you're a Christian if you love one another. you got to love one another, right? And Jesus is telling this to the disciples on his way to die, and he calls it out three times. When God does something three times, you got to pay attention. So anyway, I think that God was like, you need to pay attention to this. You are not getting a new job. But I was positive. You know, I was so positive that I was righteous and my yearning for something new, specifically that I deserve to make more money. It was really a salary thing for me, I think, at the end of the day. You know, I was really, I had really in my heart put this worldly concept on the throne of my heart. And I was like, if I'm not making more money, I'm not successful. 
and that's not okay. I need to be successful. And I think it took the Lord to be like, you are where you're supposed to be doing what you're supposed to be doing to chill out. And it really like, I I just think without that, I would have been miserable. But with that, like this light switch of grace clicked on and I was able to function in my job and really just the blessing of the job that I have. And I think why the Lord uh, has me there is I can do all this other stuff at the Mooresville campus. Like I'm super involved and I just, I have the grace and the time and the energy and stuff to do all that. And it just, it works out really well. But I was making decisions without him on the throne. And we just can't afford to do that, right? God's got to be on the throne. And if we're operating out of something different, we're not functioning appropriately in the kingdom. The second thing, God's on the throne and the center of the throne room and these angels without ceasing, John says, are singing out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is is to come. Worthy, worthy, worthy. This is in uh, Revelation, so you're going to miss that part if you're in Isaiah. But they say, worthy, worthy, worthy is he who causes things to have been created. Right? All the time, they're singing praise to the Lord. He's on the throne. And all the time, we need to be in a position where we're singing praise to him. He is always worthy to be praised. And again, that sounds easy, right? That's Christianese. Okay, I can talk about that on Sundays, but how does that play out practically in our lives when stuff happens that makes us upset? When we were for sure that something was going to happen that was beneficial and it didn't, and how do we respond to that? Because we can get jaded, we can get heart sick, we can get angry. You know what I mean? Like, I really prayed hard for this, Lord, and you said no, like, you're a jerk. People do that all the time. And they will walk away from the faith because they asked for something and they didn't get it. You know, and I know I'm that way sometimes. I act like my kids with the Lord. You know, no, you can't have ice cream for dinner. Why not? And I get upset about stuff that I was, Lord, I am for sure that I am right in wanting this. And we get angry, but we've got to always be in a position where we can say, Lord, I don't know but you are worthy to be praised in this situation. You are holy in all things, and you are always good. Even if I don't see it, you are holy and worthy. And I think when we do that, we do a couple things. You know, because I think the enemy would like to step into those situations and help drive wedges between us and the creator of the universe who knows best. And he would like for us to think that we know best. And then we can get moody and get distanced and get off track. So when we're praising the Lord in situations, I think there's always victory. You know, there's always victory in saying, Lord, even though this situation didn't work out, you know, even though I prayed for this person to be healed and they died anyway, you know, there's hard situations that we're going to go through, but the Lord's good in all of them because he's the one sitting on the throne. He is holy and worthy and set apart, and he's worthy to be praised all the time. And then the third thing is this. Isaiah says, And I've read, I think I've read every translation. There's like, you know, how many translations of the Bible are there? I think I've read all of them of this verse. It it typically translates, he says, he sees this thing, right? He sees this situation playing out. He's in the throne room of heaven. God Almighty is on the throne right there. These angels are worshiping, and he says, woe is me. And my favorite translation of this that I've seen, he's looking around, he goes, I am a dead man. (laughs) Like, uh, I'm done. 
Because there is biblical precedent at this point in time for people coming face to face with God and turning into crispy bits. That his radiance and his glory is so intense that it fries people. And Isaiah's like, I am a, Isaiah says, I'm a dead man. Because I am a man of unclean lips. Here I am witnessing the angels singing out how holy God is. I'm, I'm a man of unclean lips. I can't do this. Woe is me. And you might be like, Corey, I don't, I don't prefer number three. But number three, I think, is critical. God is on the throne. He's worthy to be praised. We are not. We are not in and of ourselves worthy. In John's version in Revelation, um, it's actually a couple uh, chapters later where they um, bring out the scroll. And this is the scroll that they're going to open that is going to start dictating what some end time things look like. You know, in John's, in the book of Revelation in the Greek, the book is called Apocalypsus. Right? So this is the book about the apocalypse, right? And we've kind of hijacked that term and turned it into scary stuff. But this is just what happens. And John is like, there's a scroll. It needs to be open. And he's having like a situation. He's like, nobody is worthy to open this. Throne. Like nobody. Like we are in trouble because nobody can open this. We're not worthy. Until Jesus, as the lamb, comes forward and opens up the scroll but we are not worthy because we are not sitting on the throne. That, I think, as much as any of these things, is easy to say, but hard to practice being a Christian, being a follower of Christ out in the world, where we're asked to be humble. So one of my favorite Bible verses ever, I think this is just one of the best. It comes from the book of Micah. And the prophet Micah is issuing this word, and he says, the Lord is telling you what is good. He says, this is what is good. Do justice. And when I read that, I'm like, okay, I can, that's super easy, a super easy command. I can do that. Do justice. And justice is you get what you deserve. Okay, I can, you know, from a, I can get behind that. Super easy, right? He says, do what is good. Do justice. Love mercy. And then I get off track a little bit because I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Wait a minute. How do I, what? How do I do this? But he says, this is what is good. Do justice and love mercy. But then he gives us the answer. And I think this is the answer just to everything is to walk humbly with your God. Right? Because we are not God on the throne. We are not worthy to be praised. We have to be humble in situations where we're willing to say, God, you are on the throne of our lives. What are you doing in the midst of this situation right now? Because I don't know when we're calling for justice and when we're calling for mercy of myself and my flesh. I don't know that. But do you know who does know that? God who's on the throne, who's worthy to be praised all the time, you know? And if I have him as Lord of my life and he's really sitting on the throne and I'm operating out of a place where I am not saying maybe I'm a dead man, but maybe I'm saying I'm not worthy, Lord, you are worthy to make this decision. Then as a functioning Christian, I can go and I can impact people. You know, Ryan and I, I was talking about how we grew up in Iowa. We grew up um, close to the University of Iowa campus and, you know, super liberal campus, but we'd walk around and there'd be those dudes with signs, like the you're going to hell signs. We had the you're going to hell guys all the time on campus. You know, and they'd be out there with their signs and be like, you're going to hell. 
And I just, you know, from a, a point of humility, I, I, I don't know that that guy got that message. Man, I was in this situation one time, y'all, in Iowa City, where there was this very specific group of uh, Baptists from Colorado, maybe, who really, really hated a specific group of people. And in liberal Iowa City, you might guess what that specific group of people would be. And I have no idea why, but they came to our church to protest us. And, I, you know, not that we were doing anything that was necessarily friendly to that specific population, but I think just because we were in Iowa City, they were coming to protest us. And this was my first job out of college. I was actually, I think I was still in college and got a full-time job as I was the pastor of youth, college, and young adults. And I think they probably would have given me more responsibility had, like, if there was other ministries they could have pawned off onto the young guy, I'm sure they would have. I did not stay there very long. But I, they're like, okay, Corey, your job is to go watch the protest and make sure it doesn't get out of hand. I'm like, what are you talking about? So, like, my job is to, like, monitor these protesters, and they had the you're going to hell signs. You know what I'm talking about? And it was just like, and then this is Iowa City. So if there's a protest, guaranteed there's a counter protest. That's how we operate. We had students against sweatshops who hated sweatshops. But because we had that, we had, literally, I'm not lying to you, students against students against sweatshops. And they would counter protest them that the sweatshops, if they didn't exist, the people wouldn't have jobs. That's just how Iowa City rolls. So these guys are here, you know, the women in their long skirts and the men in their ties protesting. And then we had one, one dude showed up for the counter protest. And he was wearing no shirt, gold lame shorts, and dancing with his boombox. And my job is to monitor this situation as the young adult, youth, college pastor. I'm just like sitting out there drinking my coffee thinking, Lord, what, how did I end up here? Like this is, <laughs> this is beyond bizarre. But I couldn't, I, ever since then, I've, I've been thinking like, what, what was their deal? Like what, what's, like I, I, there's no humility. There's no ability to say, Lord, where are you in the midst of the situation when we are for sure that we are righteous? Like that's just a super dangerous place for us to be unless we are positive that we're operating out of a place of God, you were on the throne in the center of my life. And when we know that's happening, then we can call people to correction or we can have better yet relationship with people and through relationship talk about how Jesus may want to interact with their lives. But I don't, I've been, you know, um, I was talking about how I saw this guy video on Instagram, the like discover section where like, I'm looking for my barbecue videos and like soccer feeds and stuff. I've been getting a lot of, you know, churchy videos, which is fine, you know, and they'll have like worship songs and like the new worship songs. But the new trend, and I hate it, is videos of people commenting on other videos. Have y'all seen this? I hate it. It's just critical. It's just exists to be critical. And it's like they're criticizing their whatever, whatever it is. And I've seen it for food restaurants and like, but it's now church stuff. The best one I saw, though, was great because these people, like, the, the critique was you cannot worship Jesus this way. And the video was of some, like, probably spirit-filled meeting when they were chanting, you can't tell me how to worship my Jesus. And I was like, that came first, and then this guy was still like, you can't worship Jesus. And I'm like, they don't care what you think about how they're worshiping Jesus. Your critique is not helping. Like, you, buddy, you might want to, you know, have a conversation with them and have a relationship, and then you can talk about what you believe. Thing number four is that there then has to be a response. 
we, I, I just think that's inevitable when we encounter God on the throne who is worthy to be praised in all things. And when we're able to say, Lord, you are worthy and I'm not, there's a response out of us. In Isaiah's situation, they say, who will go? Who now can we send? Who can we send to the people? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. In John's version, John leads with this. Revelation 1, he says, listen, I'm gonna tell you some stuff. I witnessed all of these things so that I can pass it on to you. There has to be a response from us. And I think, Ryan, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I think this, this throne room narrative that we see in Isaiah and Revelation, at least to me, really matches up with the vision statement that you guys have been talking about for River Life Wilmington, you know, where you guys are hosting the presence of the Lord here, and you're inviting people to come in and have an encounter with the Lord right where it, it changes us and then where we can't help but go out to the Wilmington area and beyond and impact people because that's what happens when you have a face-to-face encounter with God who's sitting on the throne. But I think there's this, you know, when we're saying, yes, Lord, you are worthy to be praised and I am not worthy to be praised. So just saying that, like, you know, Lord, what are you doing with this building and this space and these people? And frankly, I don't, some of that matters, some of it doesn't. Actually, next time I'm going to be down in February, and I'm going to be talking more about the geography of this. It'll be awesome. Um, but the Lord's going to do what the Lord's going to do if you let him. And then you can kind of shake it off, shake it off a little bit, you know? Because as long as he's at the center, for those of you who have said, yeah, I'm going to make River Life Wilmington my core church, and I'm going to help here, you know, that's... God's got to be the center, and he's always worthy to be praised. And when we're willing to say, Lord, you are in control of the situation, I'm not, it's, it, you can't help it. There's going to be a response where Wilmington's changed. And I think I just keep on thinking, like, that's the, that's the, um, the church model. So, like, in Acts, when Jesus is giving his last message to the church, he says, you are going to be, you know, you're going to take the, my power that I'm bestowing on you, and it's going to start in Jerusalem, where they were. And it's going to go to Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's these like circles, these outgoing concentric circles, which is, I just feel like it's part of the vision statement where this is going to happen in this building, but it's going to impact Wilmington. And then it can't help to go beyond there because that's how the gospel works. You know, that's how when you have an experience with the Lord, like you can't help but those things happen. Thank you for listening to a River Life Fellowship podcast. To get more information, check out riverlifefellowship.com.